Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are wrapping up our Easter series today entitled Graves into Gardens, and I want to talk to you today about a God that turns seas into highways, and that's actually found in in, uh, Exodus chapter 14, but I want to just start a little bit earlier, so I'm going to send you over to Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, if you would head there, because there's a a little bit of detail there that I want to make sure that we're aware of before we jump into the story today. If you're not familiar with this story, if you don't know what I'm talking about when we talk about uh, this idea of graves, I'm sorry, uh, seas into highways, uh, let me just kind of share with you, there's this story in Exodus where God frees the Israelites, they go out, they approach the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is bearing down on them, and so God ends up splitting the sea and they cross the sea on dry ground. That's the entire story in a very, very short synopsis, but that's what we're talking about today, and I think it's a very relevant message for us to talk about today because who doesn't have a Red Sea, right? I mean, who doesn't have something in front of them that you think it's going to take a miracle to get through? It's, it's something you can't go around, something you can't go over or under. So the only way is to go through it, and the only way that you're going to make it through it is with God's help. And if you're facing something like that today, you picked a great Sunday to be here on uh, because I think this text is just for you. Because what we're going to learn is that we serve a God who is a God of the impossible. He, that's, that's his business. He does miracles. And, and this book, Exodus, so often when we think about it, we only think about the stories about slavery in Egypt. But the reality is Exodus is actually a book about freedom. Exodus means the road out. That's really what that word means. And so it's, it's a book about freedom. And, and when we catch up to uh, Exodus chapter 13, 14, what we find is that the Israelites have been in slavery for 430 years. How'd they get there? Well, if you remember back a few months ago, we talked about a guy by the name of Joseph. Uh, He had a coat of many colors. You remember he had a bunch of brothers and they were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He ends up being the second in command. And then his family comes and finds him. They don't know it's him, but, but they're looking for food because of a famine. And there's this great scene in scripture and he welcomes his brothers. He welcomes his family. They all move there so they can survive the famine. That That's how God's people end up in Egypt in the first place. And what ends up happening from Genesis into Exodus is actually the people multiply. They become so many that Pharaoh fears them, and so he enslaves them. He turns them into slaves and uses them for manual labor. And so by the time we catch up to them, like I said, they've been in slavery for 430 years. They've been crying out to God. We want something different. We don't want to be slaves. And finally, God answers their prayer. He calls out a guy by the name of, of Moses. He meets him at the burning bush. Uh, some of this might, might uh, spark some, some memories of different stories that you read in Scripture. But the idea is that he calls Moses out. He sends Moses back to Pharaoh to say what? Let my people 
Okay, good. You've seen the movie. So I uh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no, because it has to rhyme. And uh, they, they get into this argument every time. And so we go through the story of 10 different plagues. And, and we, we don't have time to get into all of them. But the last one is the firstborn of every family is going to die if you don't let God's people go. And Pharaoh, being as stubborn as some of us are, says no. And so uh, Moses goes back to the people and he says, look, here's what I want you to do. Kill a lamb, take the blood, put it on your door frame so that when God comes through tonight, if he sees the blood on your door frame, he will pass over your house and your firstborn will not die. That's how we end up with the name Passover and the, and the whole Passover uh, festival and everything else comes from that. Uh, so what ends up happening is the firstborn and the households die and it says in Scripture that the grieving, the cry is so loud in Egypt. It had never been like that before, and it had never been like that since. And, and so it's the idea that there was so much grieving, so much pain, that, that Pharaoh finally says, fine, go. Take your people, leave. And actually, by this point, ten plagues, the people in Egypt were like, please, go. I don't understand what our leader's doing. Just go. Get out of here. We don't want you here. And, and so as they're exiting, as Pharaoh says, get out of here, and they're leaving, and it's estimated about two million people are, are making this exodus, they're leaving Egypt. All the Egyptians are coming out and giving them their silver and their gold and everything. They're just giving it to them. Just go. Please leave. And it says that they plundered Egypt on their way out the door. Uh, not because they forced them to, but because people were like just so happy to get rid of them. Just please go, go. We want you out of here. So they leave. Uh, they leave, and it's a miracle to see what God has done. He's freed his people, and they're exiting. And as they're exiting, I want you to see what, what is said here in Exodus chapter 13. Maybe you caught this, maybe you didn't, but I think this is an important part of the story. This is what it says in verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, many times when God's leading us in our life, we assume that God's just going to lead us the easy route, like he's going to take us the quickest route. But many times, God will take us a long route. In this story, he actually takes them the long way. There's a shorter route, and I love the fact that God made sure that it was in the Bible because he's letting us know that he knew that there was a shorter route, but he didn't choose that one. He chose choose the, the longer one. I'm going I'm to take him around, and you might be wondering why. Well, because they're slaves. That's all they've known their entire life, 400 years of slavery. Now, these people will eventually become this great army, There'll be this, this well-fine-tuned military unit, but that's not who they are right now. They're just slaves, and God knows that. And he is, in this moment, trying to protect them. God took them a longer way to protect them. Now, I think many of us probably need to stop just for a minute and maybe thank God for the longer way. Like, maybe he took you a longer way in your life just to, to protect you a little bit. And so often when we think God's taking us a longer way, we almost look at it as punishment. And many times it's not, it's not punishment, it's his protection. Or sometimes God takes us the longer way to prepare us for what he has already prepared for us. Like he's got something planned down the road and he needs to train us. He needs to put us in a place where we're going to be uh, able to receive it or walk through it. And, and he's got something planned for us and so he's preparing us. So many times God takes us a long way to protect us or to prepare us. There's a big difference in punishment and protection and preparation. And if we would understand the difference in those two, I think we would stop fighting against God when he wants to take us the long way. We, we would stop trying to take it upon our own 
um, our own ability, our own strength, and try to, to make something happen. We would know that in this moment that God has something better for us, and we would just follow him, even if it's the longer way around. I want us to become a church, a, a people that actually like the long way. If God's leading us a long way, that, that we just embrace it. We don't run away from it. Why? Because we know that in that moment, God is probably forging his character in us. That's why he's taking us the long way. Listen to me. The long way with God is better than the short way without him. Does anyone know that to be true? Anyone? Right on? Right on. Yeah. If you've lived long enough, followed God long enough, you know, man, it's better to stay with him no matter where he leads you, even if there's a shorter route. So God takes him the long route. Then in Exodus chapter 14, God tells him where to camp. And it's very interesting, in the first uh, three verses or so, you find out where they're camping, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, he takes them right down in between these two mountain ranges, right up against the sea. It's called the Red Sea. They're camped out right there on the shoreline. And, and if you were a military uh, leader, you would look at this and you would say, that is the worst place you would ever take two, th- two million people and have them camp. Why? Because they're vulnerable. Especially a bunch of slaves. This is like the worst place. It's a tactical error to put them in this place. But God tells them, here's where I want you to camp. Why does he do that? Well, take a look at verse 4, because he tells us why. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. So he's telling him up front, this is what's going to happen. I have planned this. Don't miss that. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. I like the fact that they obeyed him. Like, okay, if this is where you want us to camp, we're going to camp here. Even though we're totally trapped. Like, we've got mountains on both sides. The Red Sea's in front of us. We can't go over it. We can't go around it. Can't, can't go under it. It's like a cul-de-sac. We're just kind of stuck in this moment. They were totally trapped. And they will be here in just a minute because the Egyptian army is going to come after them and come in right behind them. But here's what we miss so often, because we read this story, and I think for many of us, for many years, we heard about the Red Sea, and we thought this, stupid Moses, what an idiot, right? That guy had no clue what he was doing. Why would he lead him to the Red Sea? But I want us to make sure that we're aware of this this morning. Um, God led them to the Red Sea. God's the one that put him in that place, not Moses. Why did God lead him to that place? He said it was because he was going to deliver them in a miraculous way. He literally said, I have planned this in order to display my glory. God is the one that led them there. The reason this is important is because I know some of you find yourself in a place right now that you're like, how in the world did I get here? Why am I in this place? Why, God, are you, are you asking me to be in this place? And I want you to know, um, God may have led you there so that he can deliver you so that you will always know who he is and who you are in him. Sometimes we might feel like we're in a, in a very vulnerable spot. We're, we're in a place where we're exposed. And I want you to know that if God led you there, he's about to do something great. If God led you there, he's going to act on your behalf in a very supernatural way. Um, God was setting all this up for the Israelites. He was setting it up. They're worried about this enemy. God is setting it up so that he could destroy this enemy. He's got a whole different plan. Look at verse 5. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. 
The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. You get in the picture, right? Like it's the entire force. He's, he's throwing everything he's got at them. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore of Pi-Hiroth, across from Baal-Zephon. Remember where those two places are at, right? Uh, no? Okay. Well, anyway, the, the idea is they're in between these two mountain ranges. They're up against the sea, and now they have this, this army bearing down on them. I want you to just imagine just for a minute what that would be like. You're in a vulnerable spot. You have no place to go. And you've got 600 chariots. You've, you've got the most sophisticated military technology of the time bearing down on you. And you're a bunch of freed slaves. That's all you are. You've got nothing. You're trapped like in a cul-de-sac. And here comes Pharaoh coming to attack you. I know some of you know what that feels like. Like you've been there. You know what it feels like to, to have no hope. To, to feel defeated. Like it hadn't even started. And I know how this is going to end. It's going to be bad. You can imagine kind of the the sound of the horse hooves and the, and the chariots as they're rolling toward you and the, and the swords and the spears. You can kind of imagine that. You know what it's like to have escaped from something only to have that thing come back and try to attack you. Like you thought you were done. You had moved beyond it. And now it's coming back after you. You know the fear that that puts in your heart. You know the terror and the dread that you live with because of that. I want you to look how the people responded First part of verse 10 it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, and they what? Panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. Can I, I just love the detail that's given to us in Scripture. It says that they looked up, and they saw the Egyptians, and they panicked. They looked up just enough to see their enemy. They didn't look up high enough to see their God. See, sometimes all you need to do is just lift your eyes up just a little bit more. They were focused on the wrong thing. When standing at your Red Sea, you need to keep your eyes on God. Keep them on God. Don't put them on your situation. Don't put them on the circumstances. Don't put them on your enemy. Put them on God. Are you lifting your eyes up only to the level of your enemy? Are you so focused on, on the things that are going bad, on, on the situation and, and how things are out of control around you, and you're wondering why you're in fear? Wondering why you're, you're carrying so much anxiety and so much stress in your life. So you've got to lift your eyes. You've got to elevate your eyes so that you can see Jesus because he's the author and the finisher. Uh, Jesus is where our salvation comes from. We've got to keep our eyes on God. Not only were they looking in the wrong spot, but what happens so often when things seem to be spiraling out of control and it feels like, like you're about to face defeat? Um, we start shooting our mouth off, don't we? We start talking negatively. Uh, look at what happens starting in the second part of verse 10. It says, They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring... I want to read this kind of in a whiny voice, but it'd be annoying. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Isn't it amazing how fast we can do a 180? God has done miraculous things. He's freedom. They're out of slavery. First time in over 400 years. And the first sign of trouble, what are they doing? Let's go back. Let's go back to that slavery. 400 years. 
God has done some amazing things. I mean, think about all the plagues. He's leading them by a big pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And yet they forget. Let's go back. I think right here we find out very quickly that their initial response is to complain and to blame. They're blaming poor Moses. I mean, Moses is like, I'm just doing what God told me to do. And they're blaming him for it. But man, they're just shooting their mouths off here. Can I just say it this way? We frame our world with the words we speak. We frame our world with the, world, uh, with the words that we speak. And, and my question is this, during stressful times, how do you speak? What comes out of your mouth? Because very rarely does our mouth align with the truths that we read in Scripture. This is one of the, the important things that, that we make sure that we're plugged into Bible studies, that we're doing daily readings, that we're in life groups, and we're, we're studying the Word of God, and we're getting that into our system. Because what that does, it helps us to bring our mouth into alignment with the truths that we see in Scripture. Proverbs tells us that we have the power of life and the power of death in our tongue. That when we go into situations, we can speak life or we can speak death. What do you think they're doing in this moment? They're speaking death, aren't they? We're done. It's over. You're an idiot. Why'd you bring us out here? We should have just stayed in Egypt. All of this. Keep, keep in mind the scene. I mean, it's just it's chaotic. Like, they're stuck. They got the Egyptians rolling in on them, and they're screaming and yelling at Moses. Like, that's really going to help. And we do the same thing in our life, don't we? Let me ask you, parents, are you speaking life or are you speaking death into your kids? Are you speaking life or death into your spouse? And you wonder why your marriage is the way it is. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to people in our community and they're talking about somebody and they say, yeah, that person, that's the most negative person in the world. They never have anything good to say. Like, they're always negative. And I just sit there and go, crud. They go to Mountain View. Right? They're confessing to be a Christian. And they're the most negative person. And even the community knows it. Can I just ask you this, please? If you're part of Mountain View... Choose to speak life. Align your mouth with the truths that you see in Scripture. Because it is so critical. You have that choice. It's up to you. Do you speak life or do you speak death? See, the Israelites, they took this step. Uh, they, they saw the miracles that God, that God did, the, the wonders and the signs to free them through the, the plagues and, and to send them out of Egypt. He rescued them. And the moment they needed another miracle, they forgot everything that had happened in the past. See, you're not supposed to forget the past miracles when you just need another miracle. Shouldn't you lean back into the one that did the miracle in the first place? See, you need to remember what God has done before so that you know he's faithful to do it again. When we remember what God has done in the past, it helps us to move into our future. The, the reason why we remember the faithfulness of God in our past is because we understand then that he's the same God that is with us in our present, and he's the same God that's going to help us into our future. But what happened in this moment is they'd forgotten what God had done just a few days earlier. On the night of Passover, to send all the plagues and to, to free them, and, and even just think about the firstborn. They're standing there with their firstborn kids. And they forgot. They forgot who God was and what he was capable of. How quickly we forget what God has done. Especially when we're standing on the edge of our Red Sea. The, the enemy's coming after them. And let me just ask you this. When, when you're facing your Red Sea, what's your natural tendency? Is it to remember what God has done in the past? 
to remember the blessings, the miracles that he's done, or do you forget the goodness of God? Because whichever way you answer that question will determine your attitude when you're confronting some type of obstacle in front of you. It, it, you make a decision beforehand. It doesn't happen in the moment. It's beforehand. Yes, I know who my God is. I remember what he did for me. And so therefore, this thing in front of me, I know he can handle it. Or, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? We should go back to slavery. Look, look at what Moses says in verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. I love this. It's just, I wish I could say it the way that, that it's in my head. Because I think in this moment, Moses is just letting them have it. Uh, like some of your translations, instead of saying, just stay calm, it says, keep silent. Almost like, just shut up. I'm tired of hearing all your complaining and whining. Just watch what God's going to do. God, the Lord himself, will fight for you. And somebody here today needs to hear that. Like you're going through something, you need to know that God is going to fight for you. All you have to do is just stay calm. Just stay calm. I mean, when, when you want to vindicate yourself, when you feel like your enemies are pressing in on you and, and you're, you're not sure you can defend yourself, um, you want to step up, you want to defend your own name, your own reputation, can I just say it? God is going to fight for you. Just stay calm. Let God do what God does. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Um, what, it's easy for me to say that, isn't it? It's harder for us to do. It's one of the hardest things, isn't it, for, for you just to, to be quiet, to be calm, and, and just to uh, trust God in the situation that's going on around you, especially if you don't know what the final result is going to look like, especially when you can't see where your deliverance is going to come from. It makes it very difficult. But here's the thing. As people of God, hopefully we've been journeying with God for a while, and we know his nature and his character, and we know that he is faithful, that he's been faithful to us up to, the, to this point, and he'll be faithful to us as we move forward. We can put our trust in him. Why? Because the same God that did all of that is the one that's with you now and is going to take you into the future. Uh, verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. It's almost like you can hear uh, the frustration from Moses and God. Like, what are you crying out to? You, go! Get moving. And I think for some of you here today, maybe that's what God would tell you. Get moving. See, in Christian circles, uh, we have this thing that we like to do. When God tells us to do something, we know we're supposed to be doing it, but we don't want to, we do this thing called uh, pray and delay. It's like, I'll pray about it. Yeah, that, okay, let, let me pray about it for a while. That's what we do. And we use that as an excuse not to do even the small things that we know we're supposed to be obedient in. And what I've learned in my life is I pretty much know, like I've read enough scripture, uh, I've, I've given my heart to God, I'm trying to chase after him with everything that I have, and I know that, okay, when I'm presented something, I look at it and go, okay, what would be more honoring to God? And I move in that direction. If that's not where he wants me to go, guess what? I'm moving and he can move me in the direction he wants me to go. But it's easy to guide me as I'm going. But if I just stand still, I'm of no use to God. I mean, I'm just, I'm just like a rock. I'm no good. Moses and God are telling the people, God's going to fight for you. You just keep moving. You just keep moving. 
And then God tells him what to do in verse 16. It says, pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. I love this. In this scene, as I imagine it, it's so chaotic. Just everything that's going on. People are complaining. You can hear the army coming in behind them. They're yelling and screaming. You got the mountains. You got the sea roaring in front of you. And God says, hey, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Pick up your staff and I want you to raise your hand. And I don't know, if I was Moses, maybe I'd be like, um, God, are you paying attention to the scene? Like, really, there, there's this army. You, should we not, like, do something different? Because this doesn't seem like it's going to help a whole lot, right? But Moses, man, he, he's just doing what he's told to do. See, Moses, we forget this too. He's a man. He's a person just like everybody else, just like the rest of the Israelites, and he's just trying to follow God. Like, he's, he's been following that cloud with them. Like, the only difference between him uh, is he, God gave him a stick. He's called him out. He's just got the stick. That's it. And he's trying to do what God wants him to do. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 17, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My, my great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of, of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. So all of a sudden, they've been following this thing, and it moves. It gets out of sight. It moves in behind them. And I can just imagine some of the people going, oh, wait a minute. Where's God's presence? I don't see it anymore. Where did God go? And sometimes you can't see God because he's got your back, because he's protecting you. Some of you, you're wondering where God's gone. Like, I don't see him, I don't feel him. Where is he at? Can I just tell you, he hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you, but he's got your back. God sometimes will stand between us and our enemies. And I want you to know that you will never, ever, ever, ever have to fight alone. God will take care of you in those, in those situations when you need him the most. Uh, look at what Moses does in verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. I just love this. As crazy as it sounds, Moses, I want you to pick up your stick. I want you to raise your hand. He does it. He's obedient. Do you know why? Because Moses remembers what God did just a few days ago. He's, he's, following, he's following God and he's building his trust on every step of the way. He's going, okay, he did this. I know he can do the next thing. He did this. I know he can do the next thing. And he is following him. By his actions, Moses is saying, look, I'm going to trust God to do what he says that he can do. Now, remember, the waters, hasn't, they haven't changed yet, have they? Like, nothing's changed with the water. The sea's still there, and he's raising his hand. And I think for many of us, we would fall into the trap that we do now, which is we try to tell God how he's going to answer our prayers, don't we? Like, okay, he wants me to hold my stick and raise my hand. Okay, so I got it figured out. I know what he's going to do. He's going to build a bridge. That's what he's going to do. Oh, wait, no, no, no. He's going to send a luxury cruise liner. That's what he's going to do. We're going to get on a cruise ship, all two million of us. That's what we're going to do. And we're looking for God to answer the prayer or the need in the way that we think that he should instead of watching for the wind. How's your marriage doing? Is it 
Is it being put back together? No, not yet, but I've been praying, and I feel God is moving in this situation. I feel the wind. Has that kid, that wayward kid, has he come home yet? Not yet, but man, we've had some good conversations, and I feel God moving. I, I feel the wind is starting to blow. How about that relationship? Has it been repaired yet? No, I'm working on it. God has, has given me forgiveness in this situation. I feel the wind. See, I want to be that person that's standing on the edge, on the shore, looking at something impossible and waiting for the wind. I want to be that person who's watching for it just to see what God's going to do. Not only did God make a way through this, don't miss this, I love this, this whole line right here. Um, they walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. This is what's so amazing about our God. Not only did he provide a way out, but their sandals didn't even get muddy. Did you catch it? Like, they didn't even have to worry about mud. God does more than we ever asked or imagined. He, he takes care of our needs and then he adds on top of it. He gives us mercy and he lays grace on top of it. He gives us the ice cream and then he puts a cherry right on top. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. God is always better than what we could ever imagine. It's just incredible how he meets our needs and then just adds a little bit more to it. Just to say, I love you. Now, we read here that there were walls of water on each side. You know what some of us would do in this situation? We would have trouble. God would split the sea. He would dry the ground. You wouldn't even get your shoes muddy. We would be so concerned about the walls of water that we'd have trouble walking. I don't know what your walls of water are today. I don't know what kind of Pharaoh is chasing you. I don't know what your situation is, but I, I do know that God would tell us, keep walking. Keep your eyes on me and keep following me. Just keep walking. It, look at the dry ground Look at all that God has done for you. Look at the walls of water. They could scare you, but they could also be, be symbols of the blessing of God. Yes, this is tough. Yes, we didn't want to be in this place, but look what God is doing. He's bringing us through it, and he's blessing us in the middle of it as well. This is the God that we serve. Now, if you don't know the rest of this story, Pharaoh and his army, they chase the Israelites down into the Red Sea. God gets his people out, and then he closes up the sea. He wipes out out the entire Egyptian military. They're gone. They're done. And this is a story that actually affects not just the Israelites, but it also affects the Egyptians. It also affects the entire surrounding countryside because later on you're going to read that because of this, all the other nations feared the Israelites. They were worried about their enemies and God wiped them out altogether. Their, their enemies meant it for evil and God turned around for his own glory. And then the whole thing wraps up in verse 31 like this. It says, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. These were the people that were just complaining, remember? Filled with awe. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And of course, this is the deliverance from the Red Sea, uh, from Egypt. And, and this is the story. Uh, it becomes a turning point for the nation of Israel. God delivered his people in a very miraculous way. He did something completely amazing. He was faithful to his people, and he brought them out. And he, he showed through his power that he can, he can take care of the impossible, and they put their faith in the Lord. 
And I wish, I wish that was the end of the story. I'd give anything for that to be the end of the story. That's it. Like, okay, we, we saw all the stuff that happened in Egypt and how you brought us out. And, and yeah, we, we, we turned a little bit right there at the sea. But man, after the sea, Jesus, we, we put all of our faith in you, God. Like after that, you didn't have to ask second time. We just followed you everywhere. I wish this was the end of the story, but it's not. Do you know what happens? God leads them to the promised land and they don't take it. Do you know why? Because they don't have enough faith. Because they forgot all the stuff that God had, got, had done for them before. Do you know how long it takes for, to go from the Red Sea to the promised land? Three days. You know how long it took them to take it? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. Can I just ask this? What is it that's in your life that with God's help, it would have been taken care of a long time ago? It would have taken three days. And you're hanging on to it. You've been dragging around for two, five, six, eight years, 25 years. And God just says, give it to me. Just give it to me. What is it for you? Maybe it's your past. You keep dragging around. And God's like, I got this. Just let me have it. And you won't let him have it. And it affects everything. It influences every decision that you make. Maybe it's an addiction. And you haven't gotten rid of it. Because you don't believe that God can do the impossible. You've forgotten what he can do. You've forgotten what he's done in your past. You've forgotten his faithfulness and his goodness. And God is just standing there going, give it to me. Can I just challenge you this morning? Make today the day that you give it up. You just give it to God. We're going to move into a time of communion. I'm sorry, a time of worship. And during this time of worship, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can do whatever you want. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do whatever it is that you've been dragging around with you, that you, in this moment, you give it over to God. See, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt and, and allowed them to dry, just cross on dry ground, the God who covered up the enemies with the sea, the God who turned a sea into a highway, is the same God who brings us salvation. He's the same God that we can talk to through prayer. He's the same God that we worship today. That's my God. Who's your God? Is he a God that turns graves into gardens, bones into armies, and seas into highways? If he is, I want to invite you to worship like you've never worshiped before today. Would you go ahead and stand worship with us?